Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Today's episode is digging deep into something that most women struggle with how to feel good in a changing midlife body. Why do we have good and bad body days? And how can we insulate ourselves from those ugh feelings when we see a picture we don't like or catch a glimpse of ourselves as we walk past a store window? My guest today is going to help us understand how to build resiliency into our experiences in our bodies so that we don't feel trapped by how we feel about them. Jillian Murphy is a naturopath and a friend of mine, and she works with diverse, smart, health-conscious women who are done with dieting and helps them to reconnect with their body. She uses cutting-edge eating psychology and in-the-know insight and helps to guide women out of the negative patterns about food that they feel stuck in and the constant body dissatisfaction. She's a licensed naturopathic doctor and associate of the Ellen Satter Institute, and she's based in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Jill. Okay, so let's get started. So Jill, as I just introduced, is one of the incredible women that I know and have had the pleasure of actually living with and studying with and kind <laughs> yeah, of working all the things, all of it um, in this non-diet space. But I really have always admired how you have approached body confidence and how we feel about our bodies head on. So not just talking about undieting and anti-diet and not just talking about intuitive eating, but really about it's how we feel in our body. Like that's the end goal. But I think it's also important for, you know, people to realize that we're also in our forties. So we're, we're not just talking about it. I know you've shared it and I've shared it. We're living it. We're living it. Yeah. We're we're living it. Mm -hmm. We're totally living it. Um, so one of the things, and I have so many questions for Jill, and I know that there will be so many questions from people about this podcast, because whenever we do something together, everyone like just completely gobbles it up. Yeah. But I want to share a little story that someone told me the other day, and I'd love to know how you would answer this. So someone told me about a colleague that she works with, who she has admired, because as she puts it, this person has always rocked her larger body. That she admired her for the clothes she could wear, the things she could do, and how she seemed to have, you know, no cares in the world about what somebody thought about her clothes or what she did in her larger body. But after a conversation over drinks, this person said, you know what, I actually don't feel comfortable. I just feel like I have to keep trying to fake it until I make it. And that's one part of the conversation. But the other part of the conversation, which came from the person I was talking to was, is that really all this is? Is this body confidence stuff just about trying to fake it? Does it ever actually feel real, where we are grateful and comfortable and have that self compassion, and but also real confidence? So what do you think about all that? (laughs) Oh God. Okay. I have so many thoughts. The first thing that came to mind was like a little bit, maybe this idea of like happiness versus joy, you know, and how happiness is fleeting 
but, oh, yeah. but living a joyful life is deeper. And I feel like there's something here, like I've never talked about it like this, but kind of this idea of like body respect and respecting my body. I feel like we can really cultivate that in a huge, deep way. And that doesn't mean that every moment mm-hmm. of every day we like our bodies or we like the way that, that they look or we're happy with them. Like that's a bit of a, a more fleeting thing. So I'm not sure we could like talk that out a little. I feel like that just popped into my head as you were talking this idea of like somehow the end goal being, I love my body and I love it every moment of the day. And I feel that's, I do feel like that expectation is a bit of a disservice to ourselves and to others, because I think that the reality is, you know, when you, the other thing that popped into my mind, when you first said this, is this, is it all just a fake it till you make it? Like my first answer is kind of yes. Like, because we have been indoctrinated for decades and the indoctrination continues. We live in a world that values bodies based on how they look and that ranks them based on how they look. And how thin they are. That is a thing that is still real. And so I think it's an illusion to think that someday it's just going to be like a light switch and you're going to be able to turn that off and Mm. forever live happily ever after in your continually changing body. (laughs) And I think that really the, the goal is, which I talk about with people I work with all the time, the goal is how do I continue to develop and strengthen the skills and the tools that I have to spend more of my day, more of my week, more of my month and year in my body, enjoying it versus in outside of my body in thoughts and judgments, like looking down on my body? How do I spend more time looking out at the world, enjoying the body that I'm in versus in this like cloud above my head, looking down and passing judgment. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about is really um, relatable if we think about it in terms of mood, right? If somebody is suffering with or has depression or anxiety or has more bad days than good days, we never set the goal of 100% good days right? Like we never said it like, oh, the goal of whatever you're doing is to always be happy. And so, you know, I always talk about how, and you do too, that weight loss doesn't protect us from bad body thoughts, right? That, you know, even we, and we've all had that experience of looking back at pictures of a smaller body or smaller version of ourselves and realizing that we felt the same way then about our body as we may now. And so it's not about trying to fix it or change it. It's about trying to have that resiliency for how do we not let all those thoughts and feelings kind of take over how we feel about our body, if I'm understanding what you're saying. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it's like the next step, which is like a harder step, you know, the first step, I think that's the first step is starting to cultivate this ability to um, be in your body more than in judgment about your body. And how can I just enjoy my life? You know, the way that Caitlin Moran, Caitlin Moran is not um, a body positive or a weight neutral or anti-diet writer, but she's a feminist writer. And one of my favorite things is she talks about um, talking to her teen girls, like that moment when, when she sees 
that diet culture and beauty ideals are now living inside of her girls. Mm. They're not, it's not just out in the world being applied to them. It's actually like the enemy is within, you know, and it's now affecting the way that her girls feel about their bodies. And she sort of sits them down and says, you know, that saying beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's like your job in the world is not to be the beauty. Your job is to be the beholder. Your job is to create a life that feels beautiful to you, you know? And so I think that's the first step, right? Is when we're feeling very self-conscious is, you know, to begin to be conscious of other things and how we exist in the world and the kind of life we want to live. And and are we living it or are we distracted by our bodies? And obviously, you know, I'm not, this is increasingly difficult depending on the size of your body and the other layers of yeah. you know, oppression that are put on you. But regardless, it's a, a really important first step. And then I think that the second step, which I was saying is harder, is recognizing the privileges that we do hold. It's very easy mm-hmm. to get caught in. I've, I do it myself all the time. Like, woe is me. You know, I have a body that doesn't, you know, that doesn't fit the ideal. It's very easy to get caught. But one of the most powerful forces for me when it comes to shifting the way that I approach my body and feel about it is starting to get really clear on the privileges that I do hold that I was born with that I haven't earned. Um, I'm able-bodied, you know, I'm white. I move around the world, even in a body that's changing and shifting with a relative amount of ease, you know, there's just, and there's so much more to that, right? There's, you know, I'm straight. I'm, I'm, cisgendered. I'm like, there's so much more to it. And I know that all of those titles or labels won't apply to everyone that's listening, but it is important, I think, to start to to be conscious. Like I said, conscious of others is, is a really good antidote to constantly being self-conscious. Oh, so true. Absolutely. And I sometimes find that even in like my own personal journey that really learning about what the body positivity social movement was about and like not the individual things that we do, but like why it is important that we acknowledge that all bodies are good bodies that felt like a safer place to start than always focusing on me. Like you said, focusing on others feels like maybe more important feels more relevant. I think it, I think it appeals to that female, like this is a lot of generalizing. I understand, but like that female caregiver, like we've also been trained to be caregivers. And so for some people it, it it does feel more safe or um, there's more fuel in. Well, when I look at the social justice side of this, I'm motivated because I can see where I need to care for others. And I think it really appeals to that and also cracks us open to seeing our own bodies differently, right? Yeah. Have you listened to the podcast episode, Brené Brown's podcast with Sonia Renee Taylor? I recommend it to everybody. Oh, it's part so of like my, it's like required, the a, a required you know piece of every, yeah, yeah. It's a required piece of listening for every program that I do. And I have talked about this latter many times and Naomi Wolf has talked about it, but Sonia, there's something just about the way that Sonia Renee Taylor describes it to Brene Brown. That's like so powerful and important. And I think I, I do this really interesting. So exercise. So after women should go listen to that. And then this really interesting exercise that applies to what we're talking about here that I get them to do in these programs is I have a worksheet and there's sort of four quadrants and 
One quadrant is, you know, what is the benefit of getting off the ladder? Mm. And what's the sacrifice of getting off the ladder? That's good. What's the benefit of staying on the ladder is the third category. And what's the sacrifice of staying on the ladder? And again, this is kind of a, this can be quite a confronting exercise if you're new to this work. Um, but it really highlights, I'm sure this, this has happened to you many times when people come to you and say, well, you know, in this, in this, you know, process of learning to to see bodies differently and to confront fat phobia, I'm finding it easier to accept other people's bodies. You know, I'm on Mm -hmm. Instagram, I'm following all of these accounts, I see these women in all different shapes and sizes of bodies, you know, and I think they're beautiful. And yet I don't, I cannot translate it to myself. And it's like, right, because other women accepting their bodies and loving themselves isn't affecting your place on the ladder. Yep. Yep. I know it's, that is such a brilliant um, explanation and example, but I agree. I also highly recommend it in the programs that I do. And even just to individuals who are trying to understand why this is such an important conversation, even if it doesn't affect you individually, right? Right. Even if you have always loved your body, even if body confidence is not something you struggle with. And even if you have all the privileges, it's still a conversation that you need to have and be aware of. It's so, like your sense of your sense of feeling good in your body is still built upon. Yes, exactly. Other people not being able to feel good or safe in their yeah. bodies. That's the it's system. A, and yeah. I think that that conversation is so outside the scope of 99% of the body conversations that happen. Right. I agree. I agree. And I think like when I came into this world, that was the found like the the mentor that I found when I first started this work, that was the foundation of the work, like the social justice piece. That's the way that I came into this work and how I understood it. So that's why, you know, at the beginning, it's so nice to hear like you've always sort of confronted this head on. It's I didn't know any other way, but I see now how you can really come at it from almost like more superficial layers. And I think unfortunately understanding this body piece of it, the ladder understanding that this isn't just about vanity or looks like staying hooked into this system is really compelling because it gives us a sense of security and belonging. And it's not just a sense. There's a lot of truth to it, right? There's a lot of privilege associated with being in certain bodies and it's hard to unhook from that system for a lot of reasons. And I think that it's important to understand because it gives us perspective, regardless of where we are on the ladder of what other people might be experiencing. But it also helps women understand why they continue to engage in compare and despair when they want to stop, Mm -hmm. why they continue to desire weight loss, even when they know it's not serving them and it's bad for them. Yeah. And I think that like, it takes some of the shame away. Like there's a reason you're hooked into this. Yeah. And it's that, you know, that automatic programming, the the limiting beliefs, the defaults that we go to when we have these feelings of, I don't belong because my body doesn't belong. I don't fit in because I don't look like the people around me. You know, that takes us to a really deep part of our, you know, being that says, "Ah, you have to change this right now, like yesterday, and as hard and as fast as you can. And recognizing that 
that is the belief that needs to change and not what necessarily you're doing on a day-to-day basis is hard. So if we set that conversation aside, because I already think we need to have a bigger podcast about this, yeah. <laughs> set that conversation aside and think, okay, while we're working on this social justice piece, while we're figuring out, you know, how to get off the ladder, what are some of the things that women do on a day-to-day basis or kind of just as part of how they often exist that are keeping them stuck in how they feel about their body instead of how they feel in their body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or what can they change? Like what? Well, I think, I think um, continuing to stay hooked into anything that takes their focus away. Like if we understand that really the process here, really the, if we want to feel better in our bodies, we need to become the beholders. So we need to be focused on how we want to feel in our bodies and how we want to feel in our lives. And so anything that pulls us out of that, you know, measuring if we're checking all the diet culture check boxes, did we get enough steps? Did we get the right, you know, anything that takes us out of our internal regulators and internal sense and pulls us into external measuring yeah, will keep us hooked into feeling bad about our bodies, right? So yeah. um, counting no, like things, food. measuring things. Yeah, steps. so like with food, we talk about attunement disruptors being things like feeling like you're following a set of rules, maybe checking your fitness tracker, or, you know, for some women, it's the hot flashes that are the attunement disruptors. It's like you're mm-hmm. trying to fine tune this dial on the radio, but you can't quite get there because someone is yelling in the background. And so you can't actually hear this really important message. And I think that it's a lot of the same kind of attunement disruptors when it comes to how you feel in your body. In one program where you had been a guest speaker, you described this experience that that stuck with me and I know stuck with all the women because it was so relatable of walking down the street feeling amazing, rocking what you're wearing, like a million bucks, you catch a reflection of yourself. And all of a sudden, it's like an out of body experience, you are yanked right out, and you are dropped on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, you feel so completely deflated. I think that when you described that, everyone just kind of like took a break, took a pause, because we've all been there. And one, I think to take from that is that it's a shared experience, regardless of your body size and shape. It's something that every single person has probably experienced. But what came from that were conversations about how do I build resiliency around that so that I don't immediately feel like, you know, that I've been completely deflated in all this work that I've been doing. And I think it comes back to that original question is like, is it the fake it till you make it or and if it is, what can we do to make it feel more genuine and not like it's an act that we're, we just have to keep trying on? Yeah. And I think I can't remember how I've said it in the past, but instead of fake it till you make it, I like the idea of like practice it till you get it kind yeah. of, you know, we're not really, you're not really faking it to be attempting to see your body differently. It might not feel comfortable. It might not feel totally true at first, but like any new skill, like we have to keep practicing it if we want to get better at it. And so, you know, one of the things that we talked about in 
on that call in that program is the idea that when I saw my reflection, you know, I was feeling so good in my body. And then I saw my reflection and it didn't match up. There was like this gap in between how I was feeling and, and the, the kind of body that I've associated, that I've come to associate with that feeling, which is a body that looks nothing like mine, you know, growing Mm -hmm. up in every book in every TV show in every movie, when a woman was feeling amazing, she was like six feet tall and she had legs that were double the length of mine and like (laughs) a totally different body type and, and a totally different, you know? And so weirdly, it's a very weird thing to think about, but on a really deep level, I've come to associate feeling good in my body with looking a certain way. And then I see the reflection in the mirror or the window or the whatever. And that's not how I look. And, and immediately there wants to be these feelings of, of like panic and disappointment and kind of like disgust or anger that want to pop up. And so the practice here is to take that pause, I think, and to recognize that that is old programming, that that's not me, that that's not true. It's programming. And so I think that that's the first step is just that it's like any mindfulness practice, right? The first step is being able to take a breath and like separate yourself from it. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. These are a lot of big feelings about my body. I'm a human. That is my body. This is the reality. Yep. Why are these huge feelings coming up about seeing my very normal human body? This is a really weird thing instead of buying into it because that's what we want to do. We want to just buy in. I'm obviously wrong. I'm obviously bad. This body's obviously terrible. Yeah. No, I'm going to take a breath and say not obviously. I think that this might be a bizarre thing (laughs) (laughs) that I'm not that one minute, one, one nanosecond ago, I could feel amazing in the body that I'm in. And then I catch a glimpse of it and everything changes. I'm going to start to question that. I'm going to say that that seems like a bizarre thing. Yeah. A bizarre way to be feeling. And you're so true. And I think that it's that programming. So if we start thinking about the programming, let's talk about body neutrality. So, you know, I have had experiences and I'm sure you have as have everyone of, let's say, ordering a pair of shoes or, you know, buying something that doesn't fit. And with shoes, we have a really neutral reaction to it. Oh, that shoe doesn't fit my foot. I'm going to get a different shoe and it's like, it's a non-event, right? Unless it's like the last size of your favorite shoe. But in general, it's pretty pretty emotionally neutral. And the same is probably true for things like hats and gloves and socks and the types of things that we haven't assigned value and worth to on a hierarchy, right? And so... I use that example when I'm trying to illustrate this concept of body neutrality that, you know, my goal is never to feel amazing at all moments in my body. Although I like to think that I do believe that my body is always a good body, but you know, do I love every moment? Do I have great hair days every day? No. So there's going to be days when I'm like, eh, I don't love how this is feeling. But I also have cultivated, you know, kind of encouraged this development, I guess, of not making how I feel about my body, the most important part of my self image. And, and that I think is the the resiliency, right, that, you know, you can learn to accept this body that's changing, if it's not the most important part about you. But that 
is hard. And it's hard to convince someone that it's possible for one, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. I think it's hard to convince them that they have to practice doing that. It's like you're saying, like it's the practicing. Like it's a practice. Means. Yeah. It's almost like a desensitization practice yeah. of, yeah. I, I have a, another story that's really, that might, I feel like it might resonate, but it's about this development of neutrality. Uh, uh, so I am a quote unquote apple shape. So you know, bellies carry a lot of hierarchical feelings and thoughts from the medical community, from the fashion industry, from beauty ideals in every, every corner, you know, bellies get a lot of bad rap. And the reality is a lot of women have bellies. (laughs) It's just, it's a really common, normal thing. And, and um, for many years, I would get asked very frequently if I was pregnant, like when I was due again, you know, and, um, I have a really vivid memory of going to, um, I went to this, it was this big blogger summit many, many years ago when blogging was still really huge and it was called Alt Summit. And there was a really small group of us that got to go and it was so exciting. It was in New York City and it was at Martha Stewart Omnimedia. Martha Stewart was there. Um, All of my favorite people that I followed and um, it was a totally amazing day learning about you know, marketing and advertising and blogging and, you know, and I was staying with a friend in Brooklyn and I had to take the train in to Chelsea and I had a hard time just like figuring out what I was going to wear because what you wore was a very big deal and all this. And I finally like got myself dressed and I got on the train and I was feeling really good. And um, I've always had really great experiences in New York of everybody being so kind and nice actually, like, and funny and, and character filled. And so I'm on the subway and I'm just feeling so good. And I make a little bit of contact with, um, you know, eye contact with a guy and I just sort of smiled and he got up and I was like, oh my God, he's so nice. He's giving me his seat. And then within a split second, I realized he thinks I'm pregnant. And so I'm on my way to this big event and I'm already feeling nervous and I'm going to, I'm on my own for the day. And it just sliced me. Like it, it just killed me, you know? And in the same way that when people would ask me, when do you do next? Or, Oh oh my God, I'm so excited. You're going to have another baby, you know? And I would, it would slay me. And so I made it through that day. It was fine. I just like pulled myself together and made it through the day. Um, but one of the things that I worked on from that point forward was neutralizing my response mm. to people noticing I have a belly. Right. Is there an easy, clear path for this? Um, no, there isn't. It really involves noticing my belly and noticing when yucky thoughts come up about it and just being like, it's normal to have a belly. It's weird and unusual and strange that I want to be so horrible to myself about the fact that I have a body part. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, and just continuing to dress it and care for it, even on the days when I don't love it. And, um, to reframe the old programming when it pops up and to understand where it comes from and to separate myself from it. And all I will say is there was a moment when I was, you know, dropping something off at my kid's school two winters ago before COVID hit, obviously. And I had like a wrap coat on and the receptionist said, Oh my God, you're having another baby. And I was like, no, I'm not. And honestly, it didn't slay me. And she started to get really embarrassed and to do all those like funny, weird things. And I was like, listen, it's okay. I have a belly. Women have bellies. It's okay. 
you know, and that was the last time she made that assumption. (laughs) And I just, I didn't take on her embarrassment. I didn't take on her shame or thoughts. I, yeah, I just didn't really think about it that much again. And then, you know, it wasn't until a while later that I was like, oh my God, that could have slayed, like that could have, that could have really cut me for weeks. Yeah. And you know that because this is a podcast for women in midlife, one of the most common conversations that I have is around this meno belly, and I'm using air quotes. Um, And, you know, it is often the kind of anchor that keeps women feeling bad about their body. Because even for women who have maybe always had, you know, a flat belly or, you know, their quote unquote problem areas were always somewhere else. The changes that happen to our hormone soup, which you can hear about in episode one, but the changes that happen in our hormone soup mean that almost everybody has some belly as they go through midlife. And so one of the ways that I think softens that is knowing that the tissue that is there, the fatty tissue, the cells that get laid down there actually produce estrogen. And that that little deposit of estrogen is so good for us. It's good for our bones, our brain, our heart, our skin. And there's a reason for it. It's not random. It's not because you have a bagel for By design. Like Mm -hmm. it is by design. It is programmed into your DNA. So kind of going back to dismantling the ladder, I also think that kind of really deepening our understanding of why these changes happen. They are not, you know, we shouldn't be blaming people on an individual level for things that are happening to everyone. And, you know, that's the diet culture narrative that really needs to change that you don't have to try harder because you're 40. You need to understand why your body is changing and treat it with respect and kindness. And instead of, you know, trying to hate it into a body that you love. Um, yeah. And I think going back to that very beginning of this conversation, that doesn't mean that I am under some illusion that my, that my belly doesn't exist or that I'm a supermodel. It's just that I'm, I'm now aware of the fact that I don't need to be a supermodel to live a good life. And, and, and I, some, it's kind of an extreme example. Some people are like, but I don't want to be a supermodel. I just want to be X, Y, Z. But it's like, I don't need to be someone different. I don't need to be someone. I don't need to get rid of this in order to move forward, living my life and taking care of myself and doing things that I really love and enjoy. And weirdly, the more space, the more I practice that like, and not, but like I can Mm -hmm. have a belly and I might not love it every day. And I can also care for it and respect it and just move forward. Um, the less strong the feelings are like, yeah, the less all consuming the feelings are, they could still be there, but they're just not driving. I always say that they're just not driving the bus. They're allowed to be on the bus. Cause they're always going to be <laughs> for most people. They're going to be on the bus. It's going to be really hard to kick them off permanently. I just don't let those feelings and thoughts drive the bus anymore. And if I start to notice them like creeping up toward the front, then I put in some more effort. Like, where is this coming from? Where am I feeling you know, uncomfortable in my life? Where am I feeling uncomfortable with either my self care or, or boundaries or, or there's something out of whack, you know, where is the culture just affecting me negatively? What am I taking on in the moment that's allowing these feelings to grow again, 
separate myself, reframe. It's like not very sexy, but it's like, that's the process. <laughs> yeah. Practice I mean, it still, until, stuff, you know, there's stuff on an individual level that we can do. And there's also stuff in the bigger picture of what we need to change culturally. And the conversations around women in midlife, especially about, you know, what the stereotypes are about, you know, that you're old and dry and shriveled up and you might as well just kind of, you know, not care anymore because no one cares about you. Like those are also the conversations that need to change. You know, midlife is such a tipping point of change for women that I don't want women to miss that either. So this can all just kind of be balled up into the change that happens and, you know, not the change in the patriarchal way that we used to refer to menopause, but in the change that presents as a, an opportunity to not only change how you feel about your body and how you live your life, but just kind of everything that you have assumed midlife would be about because you and I, and so many other people that we know are, are living the fact that it's not like, it is not the end. It is the beginning in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love um, the idea of pushing back, not just individually, but systemically. And each time we push back against a doctor that says we have to lose weight to move through menopause, or each time we push back, you know, each time we, we amplify the voice of someone who's in a larger body, who's speaking out about these things, you know, and, and yeah. like just really working, like you said, on a more systemic level, um, because we can't do it individually, you know, we, we can, we can ease our way through it. And I think that that's really important. And that's like, that's where we have, you know, immediate control, but it's that bigger conversation that needs to change if we, yeah. if we really want to, to shift things. Yeah. Jill, I think you're going to have to be like a, a seasonal guest because I feel Yay. like we're going to have so many conversations. And so as we wrap this one up, and I hope that this has given everyone some food for thought about just how to think differently about your body, how to really cultivate the the deep change that is real based on your programming, the new programming that you can lay down, how you can change your beliefs. And I just love that, you know, being neutral and finding ways to neutralize those bad body thoughts. I love all of that. So the question that I ask everyone is, what do you think is doesn't have to be the missing ingredient, but what is a missing ingredient in midlife? for women? I think for me, it's play and fun. I mm. think that we get so bogged down with all of like, we're in the midst of this like incredibly busy point in life. You know, we're, we're taking care of kids if we have them or we're going, growing careers or both. And then sometimes taking care of parents and our, and our bodies are changing. And it, there's just, it, the play and the fun gets like slowly sucked out of us. And I feel like this pandemic has really Oh yeah. Really been an accelerator of that. Like it's very difficult. I shouldn't say it's very difficult. It, it being able to have some fun is one of the antidotes to bad body image, right? Because oh, when we're yeah. really having fun, when you're belly laughing, when you're playing <laughs> with your kids, when you're doing something that you really love, when you're in flow, you do forget about your body for Absolutely. a minute, a split second an hour, whatever it is. And I think yeah. that the more that play and fun gets sucked out of us, there's more space for hyper fixating on judgment. And, and um, so I'm working on that. It's not easy. It's actually really hard. It's a very difficult thing to try to 
find your sense of humor again <laughs> and try to like make space for just having fun. And, and we could do a whole, you know, that could be a whole episode as well. Oh, we should do that. Yeah. But I think it's, it's huge at this point in our life. I think people are craving it. Um, it's very difficult to access. And it's also one of those key components of like fighting back so, against bad body thoughts and bad body image. Yeah. I love, love, love that. And I think you're right. I think we have to do an episode on fun. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you as always. And I know that people are going to want to know where to find you, what you're doing, how they can work with you. Um, so what do you have going on these days? Well, you can always find me at foodfreedombodylove.com. That's my website. And also my Instagram handle is foodfreedombodylove. Um, I have one-on-one programs happening. I've got group programs happening. Um, and if there's any practitioners out there, I do practitioner work. So um, yeah, just find me in those spots and, and. And that will all be in the show notes. So yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jill. And, uh, and I'm sure that we'll see you again next season. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Midlife Feast. If you are trying to make peace with food in midlife and feeling a little stuck, I'd love to help you. Visit my website for information about how to work with me one-on-one or to sign up for my group program, Beyond the Scale. You can find the link in the show notes on Instagram at menopause.nutritionist or visit www.jennsalibhuber.ca.